Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We're all too familiar with the horrific news stories about school shootings, teenage drug overdoses, and social media-driven teen suicide. But these aren't actually the country's biggest causes of childhood death. The leading cause of death in children aged uh, 1 through 14 after car crashes is drowning. Although we're deeply divided about how best to solve the problems of adolescent gun violence and drug abuse, the cure for saving kids from drowning is obvious. Kids need to learn to swim. In some countries like Australia and New Zealand, learning to swim is a mandatory part of the elementary school curriculum. Not so in the United States. Here, an average of 11 kids a day die from drowning. Casey McGuire is doing everything she can to correct this situation. Casey is the founder of Safe Swim, a swim school she launched in New Orleans in 2020, whose six instructors give swim lessons to people of all ages and abilities, starting with kids as young as four months. Casey McGuire, welcome out to lunch. Hello, welcome, thank you for having me. <laughs> And when a child is sick enough to be admitted to the hospital, days or weeks confined to bed can feel like they drag on forever. Unlike adults, kids don't have life skills to deal with the stress and anxiety and depression that can accompany a hospital stay. Not only does this make a kid's daily life in the hospital miserable, it can impede their medical progress. Multiple studies have found that a healthy mental and emotional attitude aids with the recovery from illness. Given that children can't typically call on coping mechanisms like yoga and meditation to improve their mental and emotional state, what can they do? Becca Chapman has the answer. Becca is a co-founder and executive director of Prescription Joy. Prescription Joy are healthcare clowns. Yes, actual clowns with goofy outfits and props like rubber chickens and toilet plungers. Prescription Joy is a member of the North American Federation of Healthcare Clowning, whose members include the Laughter League at the Boston Children's Hospital and the Clown Care Team at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Healthcare clowning is indeed a serious business. Becca Chapman, welcome down to lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Casey, given the alarming number of children who drown every day in the U.S., and given that kids don't learn to swim at school, it seems like the only way a parent can ensure their kid doesn't drown and learns to swim is to pay for private swim lessons. We know that many families don't have expendable income to send their kids to swim lessons, so it would seem that families with fewer resources are at higher risk of their children drowning. Is that, in fact, what is happening? Is anyone keeping track of the statistics of the socioeconomic makeup of who swims and who drowns? Yes, this is true, this is happening. There are differences in um, drowning rates based off of many factors, and socioeconomic uh, status is one of them. You know, uh, people with low incomes are less likely to know how to swim. 
it's just the bottom line. There's less access to pools, um, maybe there's lack of transportation, and then, of course, there's less opportunity to pay for the classes, which are oftentimes expensive. Typically, learning to swim is an expensive sport. It's somewhat of a niche sport. I always think of uh, what was expensive was actually being on a swim team, the travel and all that, but just learning to swim is expensive. Just learning to swim is expensive. Um, and being on the ownership side, you know, pool access, it's, it's challenging to have gain access to pools. Um, so access to pools is expensive, and then oftentimes, you know, learning to swim is also expensive. Becca, there's an old saying that is basically a cliche. Laughter is the best medicine. Clichés usually survive because they have a kernel of truth. However, when you're asking healthcare establishments like hospitals and donors or grant organizations for money to fund your operation, I imagine they want to see some sort of actual proof that your company, Prescription Joy, is doing some good. Now that healthcare clowning is an established profession with practitioners in prestigious hospitals around the country, there's presumably a measurable definition of success. What exactly is that? How do you or hospitals measure the effectiveness of a healthcare clowning session? It's actually great that you bring that up. As NAFCO, the North American Federation, um, North American Federation of Healthcare Clowning Organizations, we are working to kind of develop what that looks like. Uh, right now, we kind of have a set of a rubric that's on NAFCO's website that we all follow, which I'm also I also don't know off the top of my head, mm -hmm. but I'm happy to send that. Um, have for us the best practices in the U.S., because it is a worldwide uh, form of care, is partner work, making sure there's always two clowns at any point in time, and then the ability to improvise, empathize, and have that professional artist background to really bring healing and arts together with presence. I would think it would be very important to have a different kind of outfit, because um, so many people have that white coat syndrome, where it's a doctor coming in and your blood pressure goes up and everything like that. Uh, how would yes. we see you when you come in? What would you look like? Well, we, there are clowns that still use the doctor coat, and that is intentional. They're trying to demystify the coat. Um, what we found is we first went into our first hospital, and we just kind of walked around and just got the pace and the feel and the vibe. And every time, because we started in waiting rooms, and every time we noticed someone with a white coat or scrubs come in, we would watch people's chest rise. And we're like, okay maybe we don't want to even go near that. So instead, we've taken on just this jumpsuit with our Prescription Joy logo in the back, and it's just kind of a nice little base, and the clowns can add whatever they want to it. Because our approach is we don't want to pretend to be another job in the hospital. We want healthcare clowns to be a job in a hospital. And Casey, um, my mother-in-law went to LSU a, you know, a long, long time ago, and she said you couldn't graduate unless you could swim. I mean, we have really gone gone backwards here on this, and I guess the thing I'm thinking about is the schools are having so much in the way of budget constraints. You know, they're getting rid of the arts and music and sometimes sports. How do you how do you pitch it? Well, actually, it's funny that you ask. Uh, recently, at the beginning of August, a new house bill was passed that actually requires in the state of Louisiana uh, water uh, drowning prevention education to happen in our public schools. Uh, that's something that we do on our end as well. You provide um, training to schools as a field trip so students can come in. And you can't teach someone how to swim in one day, but you can teach someone how to not drown in one day. 
Okay, help me with that. Well, here's the thing. Um, so learning to swim is a process that takes many months, if not a year or more, depending on your age. Um, but there are some, you know, some things that we know about drowning and how people drown that we can approach uh, with kids. So one of them being as simple as don't jump into the water if you see someone drowning. Um, and we recently, we had some deaths of children in the Mississippi River, you know, and, you know, it's a very slumbering experience. And one thing we, we can learn from this experience is teaching kids what to do if they see someone drowning. If you see someone drowning, reach or throw, don't go. We're not going to jump back in because that person, first of all, the environment may be unsafe. And then second of all, if you jump into the water with someone who's drowning, even if it's your own mother, they're going to grab onto you and you're both going to sink. So we teach them how to find something, how to uh, respond to an aquatic emergency, like a, like a mini lifeguard. But we're teaching kids as young as three years old what to do, how to identify someone that's drowning, and what to do in that situation. It's wild. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh, also 88% of drownings happen when someone else is there. 88% of drownings happen when someone else is present. And if we think about it, who's always around other kids? kids are always with other kids so what if we equipped kids to know hey actually that person needs help in the water and taught them how to fix it now becca when i was getting ready for the show all i could think of my entire background on your subject was robin williams in that pat show Mm -hmm. they um is that accurate um, it's actually very different. Uh, Patch Adams is a doctor that is using humor and many other things to in the um, healthcare institution. Uh, with healthcare clowning, is it's taking artists and performers and puppeteers and the therapeutic arts. So it's strictly like a therapy is what we're going for. So not teaching the doctors to be funny, but bringing in yeah, bringing in artists and performers as a as a profession. To help in the healing and, and also doing workshops for doctors as well would be great yeah i know you have quite a background you did uh street clowning right did. and then did. i noticed you <laughs> this must lead to a story your first major accident and what got you into this is you fell off a trapeze yes yes, yes a lot of people so few people we have on the show actually say that yeah, so right. uh, they, uh, <laughs> uh yes um so we both alex and i are co-founder got into theatrical clowning, which there's so many different aspects of clown. There's circus clown, there's theatrical clown, there's birthday party clown, there's so many different things. Um, And Alex and I started doing street clowning and my dad was like, hey, maybe some kids at a hospital would like this. But the clowns we currently had were not really fit for that environment. And as we were kind of creating this idea of like, what could we bring? Maybe it's a puppet show. Maybe we're going to light up IV tubes and have them fly. You know, had a bunch of ideas. And um, then we discovered that healthcare clowning already existed. And we brought people in to train us. Uh, But in the middle of that, both Alex and I had pretty traumatic injuries. I flew off a trapeze and hit my head on a platform and had a concussion and took about two years to fully recover. And Alex had a pretty traumatic car-related accident. so for us, it ended up being us having to go through a healing process like that Yourself, to both right. physical performers. We're like, wow, this is what it's like to surrender to a healing process. This is hard. And we don't have half of what a lot of the children's we see wow. deal with. But it was such a point of empathy. And Casey, um, we're talking about the drownings in the news, and, and that is absolutely terrible. But the Horrific. other thing, oh, the other thing that reminded me that you see in the news is that a lot of the New Orleans swimming pools haven't been opened, mainly because they can't find enough lifeguards. Um, right. 
Are you doing anything on that side? We are definitely. Um, this is something that we're actively working on. Um, we have a, we're basically making a pipeline between schools and pools. So we're trying to bring in, yeah. So it helps that so, they rhyme. You know when you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so in addition to offering, you know, water safety training to kids, um, also bringing in students who are able to work. Maybe they don't know how to swim yet, but we can teach you how to swim. And then we can teach you how to be a lifeguard. Now, lifeguard, um, you know, the problem with lifeguard shortage right now, it's very multifold. Um, so a lot of it has to do with COVID, pool access. So, you know, during COVID times, there were less trainings available. And then people who train lifeguards um, also had less opportunities to, re, um, to work on their certifications. So um, we have people that were not able to be recertified themselves and were not able to certify others or having to travel far distances for certifications. And on top of that, we have a lot of the pools closed down, right? And being a lifeguard requires a very high level of swimming. So chances are, if you're not already involved in a high level of swimming, you're not going to be able to swim those 300 yards without a problem or swim to the bottom of the pool and pull up a heavy weight, tread water for two minutes. So when we have the closed pools and then we have less people able to get certifications over the course of years, now we have less people that are qualified and less people that are able to enter to even learn more about the sport. Yeah, so it's partially really, you know, bringing people in who are not currently involved in the sport, so actually learning how to swim and then providing them with that training. Because like I said, many people can't be a lifeguard because they can't even perform the prerequisites, much less perform what is required to do to perform the duties. Oh, that's quite a ladder. It is quite a ladder, yeah. But we, we have a very robust teen and adult program, um, and it's again, it's you know very affordable. So we're bringing in people who can't swim, and then we teach you how to swim. And then on top of that, we can train you so that when you do take your test, you can pass and become a lifeguard and have a um, you know a reasonably paid job, especially for you know depending on your age demographic and um, yeah, do something meaningful. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Casey McGuire from the Kids Swim School Safe Swim and Becca Chapman, who's a healthcare clown at Prescription Joy. Becca, I love you, but I've got to tell you, and you must uh, hear about this too, is people now have a certain creepiness about clowns. I, you I'm know, waiting the, for this question. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> on The Simpsons, Krusty the Clown had a lot of personal issues. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not crazy, the clown. <laughs> Tell me how you've helped to change uh, that image. Well, it, it's interesting because really just in the States, are clowns considered creepy? If you go anywhere in Europe or anywhere else, clowns are actually considered a high art or <laughs> necessary. So it's strictly just here uh, from what I gather. And of course, when we uh, found out our organization, the movie It got re-released. So that was fabulous. Perfect timing. Um but I feel like the clown we use, we in particular don't use red nose. There are some clown organizations that do, because especially if you're working in memory care, the red nose is incredibly useful for working with um, folks with dementia or Alzheimer's. But we decided not to go that way because, just like you said, there's a little bit of tension there, a little bit of fear. So we don't do the nose. We don't do face paint or, like, big shoes. It's literally we're just like a dash of whimsy. Like you kind of have to do a second <laughs> glance at us. And that kind of lets us live in the environment, but then up it with a little bit of whimsy. And like, hmm, I don't know who those people are, but they're in uniforms. But one of them has a plunger on their head and another person has glasses without rims. What's going on? <laughs> so it just kind of gets people to lean in versus lean back. Love that. And how big are those shoes? I just... I can't don't imagine know. the size. That yeah, is, I don't know. That is really <laughs> disturbing, really. He's in a converse. Way. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Casey, uh, do, you, do you teach? I know that's not your 
tremendous focus, but do you teach adults? Yeah, definitely. And I would say it is one of our focuses. You know, when adults learn to swim, okay, if you don't know how to swim, chances are your parents don't know how to swim. So, you know, when we teach adults how to swim, they can feel comfortable with their kids around the water and it gives everybody the, the opportunity to enjoy swimming. As a family, you know, you go on that vacation and you can actually go into the water. And also, it gives you such an extra layer of protection and a sense of security as a parent knowing, worst case scenario, if my child is in danger, you know, or if my small child needs help in the water, I'm able to swim and I'm able to help myself and them. Now, Casey, can you imagine a worse place on the planet to not be able to swim the norm. I'm <laughs> right here. I mean, this is it. I mean, literally, if it rains too hard for a couple hours, boom, we're in flash flood warning. I've seen it happen, you know, many times. We all have. Um, so it is particularly it's a disturbing. It's degrees here in the summer. I it mean, is. It is I a million degrees. And there's water. You know, we're so, the big, the joke, we're, we're surrounded by water, and yet so many people don't know how to swim. Yeah. Right we got to do something about that. And you'll be the person to I'm doing it. Do I'm it. trying. I can't do it all. There's <laughs> a lot of us it. that are doing things. Not to things. put a lot of pressure on you or anything like that. <laughs> no but it's deal. Uh, yeah. No big deal. Okay, Becca. Most obvious question since it's a business show, who pays you? Well, we've actually tried to do a diverse funding revenues. We're doing uh, the hospitals contribute. We have grants and we have donors. And if you had more money... What would the company look mm, like? Oh my goodness, we would have you're tearing up. Fifty I know, clowns, and we'd be in every hospital or healing institution in New Orleans. And how hard a pitch is it? You're in, I think, three right now. You four, total. four. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you go into hospitals, now that you've been accepted in a few of them, um, mm -hmm. is it an easier? Yeah, it has gotten easier. It, we've, I think the biggest thing is we've. Um, worked in pediatrics first because that's both Alex and I's comfort zone is working with kids but adults benefit from this just as much and it was helpful that we got a grant for funding to go into um, the St. Bernard Hospital, St. Bernard Parish Hospital. Which Oscar. is home for you, right? Yeah, it's yeah. home for me. I'm yep. from Chalmette. So that helped a lot is knowing your community. So we got to go in there and that's our first adult hospital. So a lot of it is to get in to hospitals is creating community first and partnerships first. Now, one of the questions I had before we got started here is, you are, are you paid by a school? Or are you paid by individually the, the parents? I, I just can't. So it's them. individual parents that are paying monthly tuition to participate in the classes at this time. We are also recently become 501c3 documentation. Right. So we are branching out. Both into, are, right? Yes. Okay. So we are branching out into, um, you know, bringing in the community to help source what we're doing so that we can have more access because, you know, what we're doing is, we, what we're doing, it works. So I know that it can be reproduced on a larger scale with more, um, you know, funding, with more support. So it's a tax-deductible contribution. That is so correct. I was just thinking, now that we have so many charter schools and they're all fighting for students, wouldn't that be a great uh, uh, s a selling point if they could have a, a swim division oh yeah that is a great point and that it's it's a parallel and yet slightly separate issue which is swim teams in the greater new orleans area also a very niche program um, my sister is actually doing a lot of work with this she's also in the aquatics industry my mentor kier mcguire brendel 
and she has, um, you know, that's something that's on her focus as well is, you know, why do all these schools not have swim teams? It starts with pool access and also learning to swim, and but then it goes beyond that. You know, how can we bring swimming as a sport to more people? Because when kids see themselves in the sport on a higher level, they're more willing to participate on a lower level. And then, you know, we get more kids in the sport and not only not drowning, but, you know, doing something, you know, ex extraordinary within the sport. Follow up on that. They, sure. Not all schools have pools. Most schools do okay. not have pools. Very, <laughs> very few pools. Pool, schools have pools. I can tell you right now what, where the pools are in the city, in Greater New Orleans and in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, so, but we do have, however, a very robust pool system through NORD, New Orleans Recreational Department. Um, so, you know, that's something that we're also working on is connecting these pools that we already have with the people that we already know to learn how to swim, with curriculum that we already know works, and kids that are already sitting in school. How do we bring them together? You know, that's really the puzzle we're working on now. Sounds like it's working. Now, we're trying. Now, which <laughs> did you both start um, your companies around COVID time? Oh, no, we were founded. We started doing the work in 2017, and then we incorporated as a nonprofit but in 2018. But that had to be a huge difference to be a clown online. Online oh, clown, you never hear that. it was wonderful. Yeah, it actually ended up really increasing the work and our connections with the healthcare providers we work with because within two weeks of lockdown, we started doing virtual healthcare clowning visits on an iPad, and child life started going room to room with patients. And because there's uh, you have two adults and an iPad, a kid is going to feel a lot more, like, there's more agency there. They would like shake the iPad and back and forth and we'd go blah! So it was, there was actually so much imagination that came from that, so much green screen play, and then so much connection between us and Child Life. Child Life actually got to be in the rooms with us, got to collaborate with us, and it just really cemented that relationship. And we, now our census have grown since then. You know, I mean, we've we even doubled visits at one hospital. We haven't talked about why you're such a unique person in your group because you're not only, you know, clowning around and all that, but doesn't the sadness get to you? It's a great question. Um, that is dependent on the person. I do feel like going in as the clown, you kind of, you go in with naivety and wonder. You go in looking for that. And it's so there. We always think of hospitals as like sad places, but there's so much life there because there are people determined to live. And that's our job is to go in and bring out that healthy part of them. Their identity that gets lost in illness gets brought out. And yes, it is hard. It, it can be very sad. We have lost patients before. Um, and that's also why some of uh, me and two other clowns, Owen Ever and Madison Crinkle, are getting end of life training as well to be like death doulas and understanding how to create a container so that takes care of the mourning process for ourselves as well as the people we serve. Casey, what got you into the work you're doing today? I grew up swimming. I had the opportunity to do so. Um, I was the fifth out of six kids, and my oldest siblings were actually great swimmers and were basically recruited to a competitive team. And even though our family didn't have a lot of resources, uh, you know, the coach at the time worked with us. Um, so that's how I was involved in the sport. And from a young age, I've always loved working with kids. So I've always kind of been pulled to work with the kids. Like, can you please make this one stop crying. Will you just stay with us for this? I'm talking about when I was a preteen. Um, so gradually I got more and more skills, more and more responsibility. I trained with my sisters and I learned more. And then from there, I really continued to learn and grow and build and learn and, and teach in different places and schools and uh, different levels and year round and learn to swim. And 
Um, it basically came the culmination of my work uh, was, you know, offering something that's more accessible than what is typically found. Um, and then that's where the idea for Safe Swim came from. And I've been doing it ever since. That's amazing. It's Becca. Um, I was, I know we have so many um, performers and we have so many artists in the city. I'm wondering, you know, what's the entry point? How can we connect all these amazing, talented artists, especially looking like in the theater realm um, with, you know, this work? Yes, thank you for asking that. Um, we, that is another goal of Prescription Joy is like how do we create another occupation for artist healers in this city so that artists can have a nice, well-paying job that can cover their rent, you know, take care of one another, um, as well as creating almost like a small mutual aid community where we all check in on one another. Um, the entry point is what determines how many clowns we can hire is determines how many hospitals we're at and how many shifts are available because it does take a lot of practice to do this work. So we need more shifts in order to hire more clowns um, and more locations in order to do that. But we definitely are open to artists, puppeteers, just any musicians, anyone that has that background and is also interested in the healing process. Because it's more than something I wanted to mention earlier is that it's not just about getting the laugh. The job of the healthcare clown is to go in the room and help release tension. And that tension mm. may look like laughter, it may look like sadness, it may look like anger. Mm. So it's not about me performing or anyone performing. So it ends up, you, you fight your ego every day, and it's an egoless job. It has to be. So, Becky, yeah. you teach, you also oh. teach part-time at a pretty prestigious school in the city. Oh, yes. Do they, um, do they know your other self? <laughs> oh, totally. They support my other self wholeheartedly. Okay, so now I can say it's Trinity. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, no, Trinity is so supportive of Prescription Joy. They, like, made it possible for Alex and I to create time to build this company, and they've been just always so supportive. I'm sure you are absolutely great in this uh, clowning, uh, clowning field, but how do you transition from that to a term used earlier, death doula? Well, I think it was actually during Ida um, when, you know, the hurricane happened and there was just so much loss. And then we also had lost a few patients at that time. I was kind of not in a good place, to be honest. And, you know, I discovered one of our clowns, Owen Ever, had trained in Going With Grace, which is the death doula program. And it sounded interesting, but I reached in a point emotionally where I was like, I think I'm having, I'm struggling dealing with this right now. So I leaned into it which I've, I've learned all through life is there's something you struggle, you lean in <laughs> and meet it with curiosity. And by meeting with curiosity, I discovered how beautiful that work is and how it's not just this one emotion all the time. Like mourning is this cycle that needs laughter. It needs breath. It needs levity in order to continue the mourning process. So it's, yeah, I find it incredibly profound work. Casey, a lot of companies, you know, had a lot of trouble when COVID hit, but you were really unique in that you hadn't quite started yet. Right. I, I you know, and a regular company would say, oh, it's all right. Um, you know, I know this is, when it's over, I'm going to have tremendous demand. It's going to work out. But you really didn't know. It was rough. Um, literally the same week that I was going to schools to promote the, the pool to school idea and get some field trips scheduled was the same week that all everything got shut down. 
I was devastated. I felt like everything was over, but you know, I just kind of shifted my perspective. I continued doing, you know, these uh, the swim lessons on a smaller scale. I had to change a lot of the background, so like changing the class size. Before I was doing larger class size for a longer time. I had to pivot, do smaller class size for shorter times, um, and you know, make different arrangements. But we made it work. I also spent a little bit more time teaching private lessons, um, and then you know, I just kept building and building and building until I was able to come back and do more which we were able to do last year. Last year we were able to kind of launch a little bit more, you know, on a grander scale the way that I envisioned doing it. Um, and then we've been continuously growing since then. And yeah, it's working out. Of all the behavioral aspects of our American society that have changed over the past generations, little has changed more markedly than our perception of childhood. We used to believe that childhood was just in an inconvenient period we were forced to endure until small humans got big enough to function independently and join the workforce. Uh, today we realize that perception is ill-informed. We now recognize the value of childhood development and the relationship between our childhood experiences and our happiness as adults. As we further break down childhood into its component parts, we appreciate how a single childhood experience can reverberate through our lives and make a world of difference. Something as seemingly innocuous as a joyous hour with a healthcare clown or as simple as a swim lesson can change or even save a life. Casey and Becca, it has been a real pleasure learning about all the good you're doing for New Orleans childhood inhabitants and the rest of us too. Thank you for all the contributions you're making to the city and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. My guests on Out to Lunch today, have been Casey McGuire, owner of Safe Swim, and Becca Chapman, co-founder and executive director of Prescription Joy. We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Casey's swim school and Becca's healthcare clowning by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 
If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.